Welcome to Eastgate Church. I trust you'll find this message inspiring and encouraging for you today. Help us, Lord, as a church and individually to make room for you, Lord. Help us to have a singularity of heart towards you, Lord. Help us not to neglect your voice. Help us to exhort one another. Help us to offer sacrifices that are pleasing to you, Lord. Help us to be able to discern what your will is. And I pray a real anointing on this word this morning, Lord, that you would really give us revelation, Lord. You would give us an ear to hear what you would say this morning, Father. I ask this in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <clears throat> okay, so last week, Arthur kind of brought a, quite a, a strong word. Like a sledgehammer, almost. Uh, that's what it felt like, uh, driving home in the car. Myself and Maddie were kind of talking about it. And to the point where it's like, right, how can we be more involved? And, you know, Maddie's pregnant, must stay far away, all that kind of stuff. But it kind of very often what happens with, with the Lord, I think, is that, you know, sermons can be almost like the sledgehammer. Aye, it's like, it's like, bang. And then the Lord, when we're quiet and we're still in the days to come, he takes the scalpel. Aye, because it's his word. Aye, so he inspired these writers to write it down. Arthur's faithful to what he believes the Lord's impressed upon his heart to share. And then the Holy Spirit interprets the deeper meaning to us where we are at in our life. And so that was kind of what was going through my mind Monday, Tuesday. And, you know, I felt the Lord clearly speak to me about a couple of things. It's like, you need to stop that, you need to stop that, you need to start this. And, you know, it was like, I have felt the benefit of doing that. And maybe we'll share a wee bit as we go on. And that's what I want to speak about today. I want to speak about, you know, hearing the voice of God. So it's a very famous bit of scripture. It's Hebrews 3. And, you know, really, it's hard to just do Hebrews 3. Because really that portion of scripture goes into Hebrews 4. But we need to get home sometime. So, <laughs> I he's a lot of thank goodness. <laughs> So, I had to kind of just cut it to Hebrews 3, so I'll be a wee bit all the place, so please just try and stay away, and hopefully it'll make sense. And I'll break it down into wee bits, for my benefit more than yours. And it starts off, Jesus is greater than Moses. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and hope. Amen. So it starts off with therefore, right? So therefore means because of what was just said before, which I've no spoke about, right? So we'll give a wee recap, but what the writer of Hebrews has wrote, written down. So basically to summarize it in a couple of sentences, 
Again, encourage you to go home and read this for yourself to make sure that I'm not just lying to you. I, be as the Bereans were, go and study it. It starts off about the supremacy of God's Son. He is the heir of all things through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Then goes on to say that he is greater than the angels. Then it talks about the warnings against neglecting the salvation. So it says, therefore we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And this is key, because life is a habit of making us drift, doesn't it? The currents of life will take us away unnoticed. He says, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? You see, there was clear consequences for breaking the Ten Commandments and the law of Moses. But sometimes we fall into a trap where, it's all right, grace of God, I'm fine. I can live the way I want. But that's not true. There's always consequences to actions, isn't there? You see, it says in Titus 2 that the grace of God that has appeared to us, I, trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. You see, the grace of God isn't passive, it's active. You're in training. Training for what? To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. It then goes on to say how he was made lower than angels for a short time. He partook of our nature. He shared in the sufferings that we suffer, the temptations that we suffer. So therefore, because of all that, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Consider Jesus, one word, well, two words. Consider Jesus. The word consider, I, you know, the etymology of the word consider, it actually contains the Latin word for star, cider, sidder, consider. It really evokes imagery of contemplating the stars. So you look at an astronomer where he goes out and he gets his telescope and he waits for the clouds to pass and he gets out and gets his wee seat out and his sandwiches and then up at the sky and he looks at the stars. How much time does he sacrifice? How much imagination goes into it? I wonder what the star looks like. I wonder what it's made of. That's the way we are to consider Christ. You see, we can come to church and we can just hear the stories and, oh, that's brilliant, and we go, hey, man, that's a good message, blah de blah We do our quiet time. But do we consider him? Do we actually consider what he has actually done? Hopefully we can unpack that a wee bit. I'm sure I don't have to unpack it to you. He's all no, and he's all considered all the time. And Jesus, who is God, who became man, perfected our human nature in his wonderful life of suffering and obedience, who now dwells in heaven and also dwells in us, 
gaze upon him, contemplate him. Why are we to consider Jesus? Because we share in a heavenly calling. You see, when Jesus was on earth, the kingdom of heaven was at hand. But after he'd ascended and received the kingdom from the Father, the kingdom of heaven came to earth in power through the descent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And the Christians at Pentecost, by the new birth, entered into the kingdom, but the kingdom also entered into them. In the same way, the kingdom of heaven, if you are in Christ, has entered into you. And they were, and you are, partakers of a heavenly calling. The apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him. You see, in the days of the children of Israel, Moses was the apostle and Aaron was the high priest. And together, they were God's representatives on earth. But see, Christ is greater than both of them. And he has united both offices in one person. As apostle, he is God's representative to us. Making God known to us in the same way that Moses made God known to the children of Israel. As the high priest, he is our representative to God, bringing us into his presence. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. You see, Moses was faithful in all God's house. We read that in Numbers uh, 12 or 17, I'm not sure, but it says that he was faithful in all God's house. He spoke to God face to face. And we read in Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as in dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. He was faithful. But Jesus, who is greater, is more faithful. He then talks about houses. I don't know if there's any builders in here. But God's a builder. And as the builder of the house has more honour than the house itself, the son of the house has more honour than the servant of the house. You see, servants in houses can have a lot of honour 
and they can run their master's affairs. But the son will still be more highly esteemed by the owner of the house than the servant. But this is the key. We are also God's house. You see, individually and collectively, we are all part of God's house. It says in 1 Peter 2, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, in some kind of way, it's like, almost like a hologram. So a hologram's made up of all different parts of the, of the same image. And we all are living stones. It says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? What does that mean, God's spirit dwells in me? Because we hear it all the time. But do we really understand what that means? John 14, Jesus said, If anybody loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him, and we will make our home with him. Make room for God. If Christ dwells in you, how does that happen? How, does that, how is it even possible? You see, we are tripartite beings made up of three parts. Body, soul, and spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5. And you can go to uh, Hebrews 4, where it talks about the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between soul and spirit, bone and marrow. You see, like the tabernacle, the temple was made up of different parts. And if our body is a temple, should we not look to the temple in Jerusalem and how that was made? Because you see, we had the outer court where anybody could go. That's like our body. You had the holy place where the priests would go and perform their duties. That's like our soul but you had the Holy of Holies, the inner place. That's like our spirit. You see, it says 1 Corinthians 6, 17, that if you belong to the Lord, you are one spirit with him. His spirit is mingled with our spirit. You see, I heard it described one time like this. The heart is the loving organ. That is how we love the Lord. When we orient our heart towards God, seeking you shall find. Aye, it's like the entrance to a building where God's spirit can then enter into your spirit. So the spirit receives his spirit, but then our soul, our heart, which is a composite of the soul and a bit of the spirit, is then to reflect Christ back to the world. We are mind, our will, and our emotions. So if we are indeed the house of God and he dwells in us, well, we should look more excited than what he's there just now. 
No sen jos tuuni fiist. My goodness. Well, there's a bit of good news there. Somebody might get excited. So if we are excited and we truly believe that, that God's Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of truth, that the Father dwells within us, then should that no spur us on to hold fast our confidence and our boasting and hope? Because what we have is, in this time in history, like no other time, is people falling away. If you had a wee clock, many people were falling away worldwide. We'd be going, run, 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 run. Now, we were promised that that was going to happen. It's not a surprise. But why do people fall away? Well, for different reasons. But one is a lack of steadfastness. To hold fast is to be steadfast. A lack of perseverance. Where are those that for a time they ran well, but they got so entangled in the business of the world, the pleasures of life, TV, politics? I'll just to summarize it the love of the world. The love of the world is enmity with God. It makes us look warm for a time, then it makes us cold. So how do we boast then? In the King James it says, glorying in our hope. There's a wee key here in Romans 5. And it says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also, we have also, sorry, obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, we've been saved by faith. We need to stand in faith. In the trials of life that are going to come, you need to stand. You need to be steadfast in faith. You need to walk by faith. Your future is by faith. You have to live by faith. Every minute, by faith. And that produces hope. Because we know what God's going to do. You see, we don't have to get bogged down when we look at the news or we you know, go on the internet or, or whatever it is and we see all the nonsense going on. We can see it. It's there. The writing's on the wall. But if you live by faith, then you welcome that. It's been promised. It's been written down. Rather than make us despondent, it should make us be encouraged. You see, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, Hebrews 11. What God is going to do in the future is what we can glory in, what we can boast in. Why we don't walk about with our faces tripping us. My wife's looking at me like that. Oh, I need all around it. 
See, joy is not a luxury or a mere accessory in the Christian life. It is the sign that we are really living in his wonderful love and that love satisfies us. And this is where my notes stop. Because <laughs> I'm sitting in the house and I'm like that, ah, you know, doing all the reading for, for days and it's like, I'm upstairs writing these wee notes and all that and it's like, just stop it. Stop it. You've done the reading. Just go. Because I get too confused with them. So, here we go. It'll be a good thing and a bad thing. So, I almost thought I'm a wee bit more. So, so we boast in that hope. That's what's attractive to people, to the unbeliever. Why have you got joy? You've no money. Why have you got joy? Because I've got hope and I can boast in that hope. Okay, so this is a rest for the people of God. Therefore, because of all that, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest." So I go to this for my birthday, right? And so Maddie's this morning saying to me, do you want me to just get you a bottle for the shop? Because that, you'll need to unscrew that. And I say, no, it'll be fine. And she says, no, it'll be fine. And you'll be telling them all you got it for your birthday. <laughs> and I was like, no, no. But I did. <laughs> but it gives me an excuse to pause. Okay. So... That's taken for Psalm 95, and it would be a disservice if I didn't unpack that just a wee bit, just to lead us into you know what I believe God really wants me to share this morning. And so in Psalm 95, it says, verse, end of verse 7 onwards, it says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work, for 40 years I loved that generation and said, there are people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Let me see. So... So, this is about a story, initially, in Exodus 17. It's the water from the rock. So what happens, just a summary, is the people are, we need a drink, right? Moses gets a drink. If you just took us up here to kill us. And Moses ends up, I mean, they're getting a bit rowdy here. Do you know what I mean? They're ready to lynch him, aye? So Moses goes to God and he says, what shall I do with these people? They're ready to stone me. So this is the guy who's, who's appeared, who, who's really been God's apostle, who's really, you know, read them out of slavery of Egypt under the clutches of Pharaoh. They've seen the Red Sea part and it's like they're there and it's like, right, we're going to stone him. Right? I'm sure, Arthur, you felt like that sometimes, aye? Right? Because really the guy at the front, he's the guy that's getting the flak, isn't he? Aye? So, 
Massa means testing, and Meribah means quarreling. They were quarreling among themselves, and they were testing God. They were putting God to the test. It says they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? It was unbelief. It was unbelief. No, that wasn't the only story, because obviously, you know, we see different times in that journey that whereby they had unbelief. They didn't trust the Lord even after the miracles that they had seen him bring them through. His, his saving power. And you know, we all know the story of uh, Numbers uh, 13 with the giants. And what happens is, it's like two guys, Joshua and Caleb, trust God. They see the vision. They have singularity of heart. We can take it. We can take the land. Because that was God's rest to the children of Israel. It was the land. You see, God's rest wasn't he, for them to go into the land and kick back on sun loungers and drink you know, strawberry daiquiris. That wasn't what it was. They were going in there to go to war. But within that war, they would have rest. And ultimately, millions of them died in the desert. Two guys in the wains walked in. That's sobering. And so... What's happening here is the writer of Hebrews, aye, who's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words, says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, the Holy Spirit is speaking here. This is his word. Let him interpret it for us. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now, primarily, it's for the Hebrew Christians when this was written. But it's also for us today. So how do we hear God's voice? Well, there's many ways we can hear God's voice. But one of the main ways you're going to hear God's voice is through your conscience. Which by being sprinkled by the blood of Christ has been purified. You see, when you're dead in your sins, your conscience has been seared. It's been seared because you've continued to ignore it day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. Why would you ignore your conscience? To fulfill your desires. The worldly passions that you have, your conscience will get in the way of you enjoying them. So you learn very, fairly quickly from, from a child to ignore it. First time you get caught stealing, <gasps> it's a big deal. First time you swear. First time you tell a lie or getting caught, it's a big deal, big red face. Oh my goodness, maybe get your backside smacked off your parents. There you go. But as you continue to be trained in equity, aye, in sin, hearts trained in greed, what happens is you start to nullify that voice. But when you get saved, the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit in your life purifies your conscience and it's bang. But guess what? You can still ignore it. You can still ignore it. And when you ignore your conscience, your heart starts to go hard. Your, start, your, start, your heart starts to go hard. And suddenly it's a bit more difficult to hear God's voice. 
Wow. You see, the great privilege of the people of God is that we hear his voice. But to our great danger, as to the children of Israel, we can ignore it. And we can harden our hearts against it. See, it's no difficult to say what hardens the heart when the world has free passage in our heart. It loses its tenderness. You see the great promise in Ezekiel 36 where God says, I'm going to take your heart a stone, your heart that's calloused by, calloused by sin, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you. We are all partakers of that great promise. But if we're truly honest, we all ignore the voice of God from time to time. And therefore, we are no hearing for God in the way that we need to hear for God. Just recently, as I was saying, Arthur, yesterday, sledgehammer, bang, last week, sorry, sledgehammer, okay, then I'm in the house, God's saying, you need to stop watching so much TV. You need to stop watching so much TV. And straight away, I'm arguing with God. Now, I'm not standing at the back door shaking my fist at heaven. But inwardly, I'm arguing with God. But I'm shattered. I'm listening to these guys at the Haven all day. Dealing with their nonsense. Teaching class, I'm taking chapel, one-to-one sessions, dealing with staff. I'm shattered. I've done my bit for the day. We start to initially rationalize our ignoring the voice of God. And as soon as you start to rationalize your disobedience, you've lost. But you can claim the victory back. Because that looks like action. So what you do is, you involve your wife in it. You say, we need to stop it. Aye. We need to be reading more. We need to be praying more. Because I want to have a keen ear for the voice of God in my life. And one of the number thing, one things that takes it away for you is your TV. Let me tell you. And it's done by design. Not only TV. You've got music. You've got whatever else. Opening your, the ears of your heart, the ears of your soul, or your physical ears, to other voices. The news. The conspiracy forum. Whatever it is, that pal just wants to gossip. It's like, who are you listening to? You see, very often the Lord will permit stuff. He'll permit you to do stuff that he finds no pleasure in. You see, watching the TV in and of itself isn't sinful. But does your Father in heaven derive pleasure? from you sitting and watching it rather than spending time with him. I very much doubt it. And what happens is he will allow you to pursue that pleasure or that pastime or that hobby until it becomes a labor, until you have a distaste for it. Now he also speaks directly back to the conscience. Say you've had a disagreement with somebody. Aye. Don't know why I'm looking at you. <laughs> Look at Maddie. Aye. And very often, 
what we do if we have a disagreement with somebody. We rationalise in our mind how we are right. Aye? Because remember, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. So we start to rationalise because, see, the heart has a mind. Aye? We can think in our heart. Your will. We can decide in our heart. Now, obviously, the heart has emotion as well. Aye? So we rationalise. She was 90% wrong, which is usually the case, aye? <laughs> I was 10% wrong. So therefore, I'm in credit. <laughs> Why should I apologise? Do you know what I mean? Problem is, she's thinking the same thing. She's thinking, I'm 90% wrong. She's 10% wrong. She's in credit. I'll put it another way. Imagine I still watch off you, Arthur. Aye? £100 watch. But Arthur goes out there and steals my car. £1,000 car. So I'm thinking to myself, right, I know I've stole his watch, but that's 100 quid. My car's a grand. So therefore, I don't need to apologise for the watch I've stole. He owes me 900 quid. <laughs> you see, we think of our spiritual account with God like a bank account. The bank account is debit, credit and balance. Your spiritual account with God has debit and debit only. If you hear the voice of God, do not harden your heart. Act immediately. Keep it clean. Because if you want to keep on hearing the voice of God, that's what you're going to have to do. Because I'm sure we've all been through seasons where we've neglected being obedient to the voice of God in our life. And we know what it's like to not be walking in the rest of God. You see, the rest of God is future, but it's also now. We can walk in the rest of God now. And if we are no walking in the rest of God now, well, why is that? Why are we not doing that? I would probably say because we've hardened our heart towards his voice. Now, it starts off with the word today. Another great scheme of the heart is manana. It's the mora. I'll date the mora. When I've got more energy. Aye. When I'm a bit stronger. When it won't be as hard. Or it'll be harder. You'll have less energy. And you won't be as strong. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today. Thing is on to say, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by a deceitfulness of sin. So, we are to take care lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart. So the unbelieving heart is the heart that disobeys the voice of God. That's how it starts. That's how it starts. But we're to exhort, we're to persuade, aye, we're to urge one another as long as it is called today. 
And that's what Arthur was doing last week. He was exalting, he was urging us, trying to stir us up to loving good works, it says later on in Hebrews 10. But very often, we feel ill-equipped to do that. You see, I do that all the time in the haven with the guys. That's my job, aye, to exalt them, to challenge them, to admonish them, aye, to reprove. And I feel comfortable doing that. But maybe I don't feel so comfortable in the church setting. But you see, reproof is the way to life. Discernment. Are we trained in discernment? Are we able to practice it daily? See, this person looks a bit downcast. Can I speak to you? What's wrong? You might even have the key to set that person free from whatever it is they're suffering from. You might be the ear that they just need to offload. You see, as we're all being built up into a house like living stones, you don't want to stay in a house that's got half the wall with stones that are that weak. So therefore, we should all be doing this with each other. We should have the same care for each other as we do for ourselves. But again, it says, date while it's called today. Don't date tomorrow. Don't date, I'll see them next week. She looked down today. Maybe do that next week. Phone them. Phone them. Go and see them. Reach out. Do what you can. Because we're all called to do that. And maybe they're just caught up in something they don't want to be caught up in. Maybe they just need somebody to walk a wee mile with them. For we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear? that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. See, as I said, saved by faith, but you need to stand by faith. You need to walk by faith. You need to live by faith. You see, the children of Israel, they had faith. They had faith to put the blood over the lintel over the door at the Passover to escape the destroyer. They had faith to follow Moses out of Egypt. They had faith to cross the Red Sea. Not that I took some faith. And you seen the waters at either side. Aye. But it didn't continue in that faith to the end. You see, too often we get we get we're satisfied. We've just been saved. And we're content. Not really content, because we're not happy. But we contend ourselves with just walking about the wilderness and murmuring and complaining and quarreling. Never actually laying hold of what it is that God has for us. We don't pursue holiness. Because that's what God's calling you to, the holy calling. You see, we have this, you know, idea 
that ah oh, he's too holy, holy Joe. You know what I mean? It's like Ned Flanders with the Simpsons. It's like, do you know what I mean? And it's like, well, no, you were called to a holy calling. Like Brian's saying, you might just sit up and be entertained once a week. You see, we get confused with holiness and righteousness. Holiness is your sanctification. What does the word holy mean? It means to be cut and set apart. Who are you cut and set apart from? The world. Who do you still love? <laughs> the world. What's going to stop you walking in God's rest? The world. So therefore, you need to cut some stuff out. You need to be obedient to that still small voice that does indeed divide between soul and spirit. Because the soul, the main part of the heart, I, the desires, that's the stuff that's going to stop you pursuing holiness. And when you stop pursuing holiness, then you stop walking in the power that's available to you. That's the bottom line. You'll not hear that preached in many churches. So about the grace, sit there, it's all right, don't listen to that, that's nonsense. That's the truth. You need to really, you know, listen for his voice today and truly reflect, am I pursuing holiness? When's the last time I heard from God? If you can't remember, well, there's something wrong. It's a holy calling you've been called to. Are you going to take it seriously? Because I tell you this, all that stuff out there in the world, that's still going on. And it ain't getting any better. The fact is getting worse. So how can you glory in the hope that God has set before you if you're no walking a holy calling? Pursue holiness while you can because it's the best life you could ever imagine. Because you'll be at rest. You'll have an anchor for your soul. It says in Hebrews 6 that Jesus, who's went behind the veil, Aye, to the secret place. And that's not only in heaven at his Father's right hand, it's also within your spirit. Went behind the veil of your heart into your spirit. Now that should stir us up for loving good works. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Lord, loving Heavenly Father, I just pray, Lord, that if any of that was for you, Lord, that you would give the increase at the appropriate time. Speak to us, Lord, collectively and individually, Father. Help us to pursue the holy calling that you have called us to, Lord. Help us to throw off every sin that so easily entangles, Lord. Help us to run the race that you have marked out for us, Lord. Bless us this day, I ask, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching. If you've been challenged today, then please drop a message so that we can help support and pray for you. And also, remember to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss the next message.